from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour. Big Five at Four is coming up in just a couple minutes. Silver Sevens on a Thursday. You can watch us live right now on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. We run videos every once in a while. Angels down here helping us out. Willie Ramirez is the company back in our Finley Toyota Studios. It is Ari. You know, I was just having a discussion. We're going to get a little, uh, we'll get to a little college football during the Big Five. I was just having a discussion with uh, one of our local listeners, Ray, and it pertained to the fact that, well, I'll start with, Willie, I grew up in the Northeast. I'm a West Coast person now. I love the Pacific time zone. I go visit all different parts around the country including going back home, and I don't think anywhere compares with what we've got here. And I love California as well. And one of our buddies who does radio in Kansas City, Soren Petro, who does a podcast with me on Tuesday nights, was arguing with me that USC is not a great job. And he was trying to bring up all the negatives about USC, and I'm like, I, dude, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm sorry. They had a poll question on their show today about Eric Bieniemy, who's the OC for the Chiefs. And the poll question was um, – should be enemy, you know, take the USG, uh, USC job or not? And 65% of the respondents said, no, don't take the job. I'm like, what? One, Eric the enemy, it's been made pretty clear by the NFL. They don't seem to want to hire him as head coach. So I don't know if he's getting a head coaching job anytime soon. And I'm like, you're not going to take the USC job, a top five job in college football? What are all these negatives? I'm I telling th- you. There, there are so many folks in the Midwest. The, the delusion. They've been fed that California sucks and they believe it. Grow up. Travel. Visit places. Any friggin' kid in any part of this country, if they have a good coach at SC, Willie, and they step on the campus and then they take them out to the beach and they show them all the cool things in Southern California, the kid's like, oh, my God, I don't know how I'm going to turn this down. You know, uh, no, you know what? I'm going to go to Ames, Iowa and go to Iowa State and said, okay. I would have to think that the majority of those people that voted, the 65%, majority of the 65% was, it was based on the fact of going from the NFL to, you want a, you want a head coaching job in the NFL, and yet you're going to go from an NFL to the college ranks. But I can see your point is right in that this guy's been looked past far too many times. Yeah, I mean, the, at it's, this point, it's been made clear. At this point, go prove yourself, and then when they come back for you, your price tag gets higher. But I definitely could see him going to USC, and I agree with you one hundred percent. USC is is a is a, I mean, yeah. that's a staple mark in college football, co head coaching job. And I say this with the utmost respect for any of the other Pac twelve schools. That well, I mean, there's a lot of them, but. Like, this is not leaving the NFL to go to coach Washington State. Again, all due respect to the college town up there in Pullman. Um, or, you know, a smaller town in the Pac-12. This is Los Angeles, USC, the Coliseum, the USC-UCLA Rose Bowl, USC-Notre Dame. That, I mean, come on now. That's always going to be a prize it may not be attractive right now because but you know because it's in a rebuilding stage and where the program's at but that's why you go in there to rebuild it bring it back to prominence national prominence 
Battled Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four, number five. And I have, I am objective on this stuff. I've been everywhere. I've traveled everywhere. I've lived lots of places. As an example, as a New Jersey, New York guy, I realize that there are some fans in the Boston, New York, Philly areas that are insufferable. They just are. And I started in on the Mets fans a couple of weeks ago for the way they were treating Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez. I think it's stupid. It's counterproductive. Steve Cohen, the new owner, is a moron. He's a rich guy, but he's a moron when it comes to sports because he backed the fans and not the players. By the way, they traded for Javi Baez. He's a free agent to be, so good luck retaining him. And now Steve Cohen is, is fighting with media members about leaks, about his organization. He's offering prizes to, for people to snitch on the leaks. He's going after former baseball executives who are now in the media. I'm telling you, this guy, it, there's a potential, and this is saying a lot. This guy has the potential to be the original George Steinbrenner. Like, George changed. George was banned from baseball, and when he got older, he was like, all right, let me let the baseball people run it. He has a lot of the jackass tendencies that George did early on. Power hungry, control. I mean, can you imagine? And social- not knowing like the, the sports world. You don't have to reveal stuff from inside the organization. You don't have to freaking pit your fans against your players. It's stupid. It's a, And by the way, it's a much different era now. You know, when Steinbrenner was running the Yankees all the way through the, you know, the, what he bought the team in 73 and, and through the 80s, you could go after players. You could badmouth them. Players have more power than ever now, Willie. You can't do that. No, you can't. I mean, times have changed. Can you imagine social media when Steinbrenner and Billy Martin were around? I mean, the stories that came out of that clubhouse were enough as it was. But, um, yeah, Cohen, someone's a little sensitive, don't you think? Well, it's his first time, you know, really being, I mean, he's been in the public eye before for, you know, kind of being scammy. <laughs> um, but it's the first time. This can be intoxicating for certain owners and, and rich guys who are never told no. It's a different world, man. And sometimes you, you're better off uh, being a positive figurehead, giving your money to the people who know what they're doing and letting the baseball people run things and not getting so, uh, getting so heavily involved. You can really screw things up. Yeah, We've seen that. This is There's not another the guy you... in New York and, and James Dolan yeah. who screwed it up. The Knicks have been... In the doldrums forever, they finally pulled out of it a little bit. Uh, you got the guy Leonsis at times in Washington. You know, caps are okay. The the freaking whiz are a mess. And sometimes it's overbearing. It's not the way you cut your teeth, and this def that's definitely not the market that you want to cut your teeth in that manner in New York because it's you know it's a long haul in that town. Number four. Uh, we have talked golf the last couple of days, and one of the reasons is. We're seeing more and more griping and complaining and minor injuries from the American team when it comes to the Ryder Cup. I honestly, I don't really care much about the Ryder Cup. That said, all of the pissing and moaning by the U.S. team has inspired me. I've already bet Europe, so go Euros plus 215. It just doesn't end. Maybe it's going to end now. I love what just happened. Kapika was complaining the other day. Eh, kind of, I'm kind of in and out on the team play and Ryder Cup. And Paul Azinger stepped up and he's like, enough. Enough. Yeah, he, well, Kepka said, there are times where I'm like, I won my match. I did my job. What do you want from me? Yep. What, do you, what do you want from me? It's a team event. I know how to. Here's the other thing. Here's a slap in the face. Now, he, now that's 
take that's you know there's the braggadocious now here comes the finger pointing i know how to take responsibility for the shots i hit every week now somebody else hit a bad shot and left me in a bad spot and i know this hole is a loss that's new and you have to change the way you think about things you go from an individual sport all the time to a team sport one week a year it's so far from my normal routine well then don't join the team that's the whole concept of being part of this if you don't like it, what did you you you're you're bringing causing dissension? This is and that's you know that's just not the sport to do so because you know you're it's a such a mental game, and now you're causing you're disrupting. And Paul Azinger came right called him out. You know he came straight out. Hey, because I'm not sure he loves the Ryder Cup that much. If he doesn't love it, he should relinquish his spot and get people there who do love the Ryder Cup. I hope he takes them up on it. I hope Kepka gets all pissed off and he's like, good, I'm out. Good. Good. Because I don't want to root for him. And Azinger, this is, you know, that's a that's a veteran. That's somebody that's who's, who's, you know, earned his stripes. Don't disrespect. You know, and he, he understands the importance and the camaraderie and what this means and, and the tradition and the history. So, I 100% agree with Azinger. Number three. Story out, uh, you know, based on rumors from the last week or so about the AAC trying to get some new schools and where are they going to raid after they lost Houston and BYU and Cincinnati and Central Florida to the Big 12? Mountain West. So they're coming after UNLV and – no, they're not. No No UNLV, no Reno. Rumors are they're focusing on San Diego State. Okay, that makes sense. Boise State. All right, okay. Colorado State and Air Force. Instead of the two Nevada schools, UAB as well. This is horrible if it happens. And I'm telling you, it's getting to the point now where we certainly don't trust in Mountain West Conference leadership to be a power broker in this situation. I'm sorry. We've just seen it happen time and time again that schools have bailed. I'm really hoping, and I'm hoping the right people get involved. I, I actually think I think this is a, a big enough issue with our two schools in the state potentially being further down in the have-not list that there needs to be some politicians in the state who step up and go, what the frig is going on here? Reno and UNLV can't be left out. And the other thing is, on from the UNLV standpoint, we know one of the biggest power brokers in this town that has gotten a lot of stuff done in the world of sports, like a lot of these bowl games, all the conference tournaments for college sports. Like, we're becoming a hub for college sports. We're going to be left on the outside looking in. The LVCVA has done a great job being a leader in this. So I, I hope there's something in the works because if, Willie, if we're looking like two months from now and all of a sudden the Mountain West Conference is missing all those teams, then what? If there was ever a time for one of the local leaders, because the LVCVA is made up of, of a number of people in town, but they include city council members and county commission members. This would be the time. And, you know, while we have our state and local officials who are clamoring to be at the Al for the Raiders home opener and beat their <laughs> chest because they think they're the reason the Raiders are here, let's not forget that UNLV and – for all due respect, Reno, this, these, these are our state schools. So from the top to the bottom, from loud. the governor's Don't mansion down, uh, you know, go to bat for the colleges in this town and or in this state the way that you do 
for the Raiders and the Golden Knights and the Aces and the Lights and wanting to bring MLS and this and that and the other, you know, a, a lot of the people that are that are being approached and courted to now bring baseball and possibly the NBA, they can have an influence on the LBCVA. They can have an influence on funding and doing their part to, like you said, reminding everybody that this is becoming a major hub for conference tournaments in March. Uh, the Pac-12 championship is coming back here. That was once here, and now it's coming back to to the to Legion. Um, uh, what you call it? They're going to be vying for that. You know that the Final Four is coming. You know that the call the national championship is coming at yeah. some point. So it's time to step up. Uh, yes, definitely. State from top to bottom, from the state to the local officials, and get together and figure something out. Because I got news for you: if they don't, and this happens, and the Mountain West dissolves or or it goes away, could be looking at the Big West or the West Coast Conference. And you don't know what's going to happen down the road with certain sports. Number two. Ari in a, in a hurry. He's, he's moving you along. You know there, what? Huh? No, you know what? I went hey, like this. He wasn't done yet. I went like this at the at the. He's camera. trying to make a point. He's gesturing. I, I think he saw me, and he's now taking the I, lead. I think he's growing impatient. He's in a big hurry This today. is not Ramirez and company. It's Coalfield and company. Oh, we were done. He actually made the right move, but we <laughs> like to bust his chops. All right, big question going into the UNLV game uh, against Iowa State. We just mentioned. Uh, you want that stadium full. They're going to have a really nice crowd for the game, hopefully north of 35,000, a bunch of Iowa State fans coming into town. Who's playing quarterback for the Rebels? Doug Brumfield got really beat up against Arizona State. As of yesterday, even up to the coaches' show, we did the Marcus Arroyo radio show last night from 6.30 to 7.30. Still day-to-day. I don't know what happened at practice today, but here he is talking about Brumfield and really the debate if, if he's not – 100% do you throw him out there he's been day to day we're trying to see how he can how he can manipulate you know the last couple days um, but we've got all those guys a, a significant amount of rep from Justin to Cam to Tate to really every you got new signalers everything because now those guys got to go so there's a lot of a lot of things that have to go on to get us back into back in kind of a rhythm and see what we can do so um, you know Doug's got to be 100% for us to be to be make sure that the, the, the value is worth you know, putting guys out there that are that are, could put our put him or, or us at jeopardy for the long haul. So that, that was telling. Doug has to be 100% for us to put him out there. So that means Justin Rogers is in the mix. That means true freshman Cameron Friel is in the mix. That means that high-profile transfer Tate Martell is in the mix. Uh, next door on the show, I asked him, all right, well, getting ready for a game at this point in the season, who's got a tougher task? Is it the true freshman Cameron Friel, who was here in the spring, or is it the guy who's been around college football, you know, was a high-level recruit in Tate Martell? Who's got a bigger task in front of him to get ready for a game? Oh, Tate for sure. I mean, Tate's only been cleared for eight days or something, too. He's only been around us for a short amount of time, you know. Um, at least there was an off-season with Cam um, to get kind of, you know, get himself into the groove and under the, understand the offense. So I think that one's easy. The field and the and the lights and a, and a team would, would would not shock Tate to be out there in a field with him, but would the efficiency and effectiveness of how he knows what to do be affected? And that might change what he brings to the table. And so that's a that's a balance there, man. There's a guy who's never done it, a true freshman, and the guy who's been around on the field but doesn't really know the offense. So it, it, we're 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 uh, we're working our tail off to get to put ourselves in the best situation on Saturday. All right, so. I love the answer, especially if he starts Tate Martell, because it's a nice little hoodwink toward Iowa State. And, well, you, you're probably going to get our 
true freshman. And on top of that, he's completely disregarded Justin Rogers, obviously. So, well, no, 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 no. He did, hasn't. Did no, he that, say, that was that was. They're all in the mix. They're all in the mix. Um, Justin Rogers. Oh, because you, you asked the comparison just yeah, between Rogers Friel is still and the, okay. Rogers is still the two. Okay. There's been convos about Rogers and his readiness and his urgency, but that was, hey, if these guys are going to play, I got you. Okay, who's going to okay. have a tougher? Because I, you know, I don't want to say that because I don't think that's the case. I think Rogers is starting. Your question that's was specific, Friel right. or Martell. Yeah. Okay. So my argument is this: if there were go, if there is one game with an opportunity that you put Tate Martell in. And, and and the way this is worded on our rundown is take over, but I mean for this game, if if he, if he, if if Marcus is right, then he's right. But if this if that's the game, this is it, and it's because of what he said in terms of the environment, the noise level, the 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 opponent. Um, I think that this is a great spot, and I think that Tate has to step up if there was ever going to be a time to prove himself he's going to thrive in a pressurized situation you know let's not forget it's he has not had a lot of time under quarterback playing at ohio state and miami but overall when he was in completed 82 percent of his passes he got one touchdown no interceptions that was mostly at ohio state so in a game situation where you want somebody who has the the nads i guess you could say to to, to, to walk in and say, okay, let's go and command his troops, um, I think you go with Tate Martell. You think Roger's starting because he's put in his time. I get that, and he's the listed backup, but he hasn't shown much. And Iowa State, you know, considering the fact of who it's played, Northern Iowa and Iowa, it its defense did hold up. It has played well, and the second-half numbers of this team are, are very impressive. So you need a general out there. In the last seven games dating back to 2020, Iowa State's defense has given up just 22 points in the second half, excluding non-offensive touchdowns and just one touchdown. During that seven-game stretch, Iowa State's opponents are averaging 15.3 points and 288.1 yards of total offense overall. So, you know, I'm not sure Rodgers is the right answer. I don't know about Friel. We haven't seen. Yes, he's acclimated. But here's one thing I want to say. Martell's been here, and no, he does. He hasn't had reps because he just got cleared. But to say he doesn't know and understand the offense, that's not on him. That would be on the coaching staff because it's your job to teach him that. And I tend to think that Martell, with what he's been through, I know there's a difference between high school and college, everybody, so before you jump on me, but he did play – against a lot of these same guys that are playing on Iowa State in the same time frame, and they all grew together on the national circuit, whether it was in high school football or 7v7. The point is, um, Martell has a football IQ where he knows, he's watching, he's learning the schemes. If it's that complex, then... I don't know about putting a freshman in there with a complex offense against the number 14 team in the country. So, anyway, I think if there was one game that you're going to put Martell out there, it's this one. Number one. All right, coming up next, we'll uh, do number one on the other side. We'll get into uh, some of the early preview of the Raiders and the Steelers, and Willie is going to tell us on the Raiders' side who are the offensive players who absolutely need to step up against this solid Steeler defense. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 
it's going to be a tough game, right? Going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers in that defense, you would naturally think he's going to struggle because of the defense. He doesn't necessarily have the weapons on the perimeter that you would like to see him have against this Steeler defense. I think he has a better game, but I don't think they win. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. All right, Willie, we know Derek Carr is vital against the Steelers. We know that Waller is, you know, 18 targets in the last game. Those are givens. Josh Jacobs is questionable for the game, and really Josh Jacobs is probably going to be playing while he can play, and I hope he doesn't injure it further. What's the guy going to be, 85%, right, uh, with, the, with the toe injury? So who else needs to step up? I actually I don't agree with Keyshawn there. I think they do have some outside weapons, and I think those guys are gaining confidence. And more most important part is Carr's gaining confidence in them. One hundred percent agree. If you if you're to ask me, you know, and, and now here's the thing: the guy that I think um, has to step up. It's not on him. It's it's on his number being called. But the receiver that stood out the most during training camp and can really do some damage on man-to-man coverage one-on-one going deep going up throwing the ball up go get it is brian edwards and a b-ed can you know if he can get himself isolated and Carr can find him downfield he is a guy who can do some damage for you on on the deep ball um the 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 targets, as you said, you know, I disagree also because I think that he has plenty of target. I think that the receiving depth as a whole, because Waller is his number one target and he's a tight end, and you have Kenyon Drake coming out of the backfield, That now you still have your whole receiving core did to you, look at. Did you see the attention the Ravens were paying to Darren Waller with double, uh, double and triple coverage at times? You know what that's going to do? Right. If... Carr believes in Edwards and Ruggs, especially Ruggs. Well, not only that, but let's not forget about the guy who who caught the walk off touchdown. And, and wouldn't that be awesome if Zay Jones, you know, delivers on all this promise and praise that he gets? And this is not a negative; they love him. Yeah, and we've all been waiting. Okay, like you're telling us about him. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's not forget about John Gruden's opening statement. Day one, when the players were reporting, they hadn't even stepped on the field yet. It was the day before the first day of practice. He said, don't forget about Zay Jones. Don't sleep on Zay Jones. And don't forget about this team's Edelman or Welker, Hunter Renfro, who will go over the middle and get clocked and take some hits from some Ravens and, you know, that's being questioned, right? I mean, this is – that guy's, you know – Strong. I mean, he's headstrong. He doesn't care. He's going over the middle. He's going to get clocked. So the receiving core as a whole is is what's got to step up. But it's going to take some crafty play calling um, because now you've sort of revealed, and I think everybody knew that Waller was the number one target. But at one point, I think I had counted that he that he he had was eighty four percent of the targets at, at a certain point in the in the first half. Whereas Lamar Jackson's target, it was spread out a lot more. Um, it was relatively even, like eight to six of the targets, but but the 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 wealth of passes was spread out better uh, among uh, Lamar's targets. Where Derek Carr, majority of them were, I think it was like twelve for uh, for Waller and everybody else. Nobody, the closest one to him had maybe three or four. So receiving targets, 
those are the ones and 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 spread the wealth because you have receivers that can do different things and that's what's key you got a guy who can come out of the backfield you got Brian Edwards that can go up top you got Zay Jones that can run slants do any he can he can basically do you got rugs with speed so you have a lot of different talent and a different um, a lot of different um, mobility and a lot of different ways to go downfield. On the way back, we're going to get to uh, some of the keys, and especially gambling keys for this game tonight. We're at Silver Sevens. It's football team against the Giants. Spread right now at William Hill Race and Sportsbook is football team minus 3.5. The total is sitting at 40.5. Remember, when you get here, when the game starts, the beers on uh, Bud Light Bottles, Bud, and Mick Ultras, just 77 cents. Watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles. It's going to be Jason Garrett. I think Jason Garrett is going to be the one guy. If the Giants go 0-2, I think that uh, I think the block is going to get real hot with Jason Garrett, uh, particularly if that offense you know, looks like the way it looked last week. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. The voice of Damian Woody talking about the game tonight. All right, some of the keys in this one. First of all, you got a, a battle between teams. Remember this division a year ago, 7-9 won the division. Uh, the division's off to a 1-3 and three start coming out of the gates. Not the biggest deal. My question on the Giants side what kind of weapons is Danny Dimes going to have? I don't think – I think he has talent. He's inconsistent. Obviously, the fumbling issue is ridiculous. Are we going to get Kadarius Toney? Galladay looked 100%, so that's good. He's going to have to step up. We know there's no Evan Ingram. And do we actually get Saquon Barkley for like 75 80% of the snaps? And, 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 and if we do, where is he at, you know, in terms of his percentage? Um, and I think that this offense – could be in trouble and here's the thing is a couple years ago I was a I was a Jones backer and I'm still a Jones backer but I just think that he's in a bad spot this week and I think that this offense is is going to be under a lot of pressure and I, by the I way think it's going to be have some trouble on uh on the comeback there Damian Woody I didn't know what the hell he was talking about he was saying Jason Garrett is going to be on the hot seat if they lose tonight yeah dude stop I don't think anybody should be on the hot seat. Hot seat two, two games in? Yeah. No, not even Urban Meyer. Playing two good defenses on the Broncos and football team? Come on, Damian. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's just that's ridiculous. Uh, football team, I'll tell you this. Yeah. If they have any sort of repeat ever this season of what happened last week on third down, they ain't going to win any games. Because last week on offense, 30% of the third downs, they converted. And then on the other side, they gave up 14 to 19. So they, that, that cannot freaking happen. They did, and you look, but you look at who they're playing also. That's the other thing is the Giants spent week one chasing Teddy Bridgewater, whereas the football team spent week one chasing Justin Herbert and trying to stop the Chargers, which, you know, right now the AFC West is looking like a pretty good division. Oh, yeah. yep. So, you know, on the whole, I mean, both teams are from there. Uh, the AFC, the Broncos and Chargers. So who who's better battle-tested coming out of week one? I would have to give the nod to the Washington football team. Um, you have two young quarterbacks looking to prove something here, right? 
and people you know who don't remember who this kid is, Heineke is. Let's not forget he is the known as the quarantine quarterback. After the Broncos went through their debacle last year and had to start a wide receiver, Washington scooped this kid up to make sure they were never in that situation. And they liked what they saw down the stretch in terms of just his tenacity and sort of hard play and playing with a little bit of a reckless abandon and and some efficiency there. So I think he's going to step up to this challenge, and I think he's going to, you know, and here's the other thing is all week, what did we hear most about this Washington football team? It wasn't a short week. It wasn't about playing the Giants. It wasn't about Thursday night. It wasn't about the home opener. What did we hear all week? Is Rivera going to sign Cam Newton? And how good does this kid got to feel going in that he, you know, that he's the guy, that he's got the, the and and the and you know what? I think the players are rallying around this guy. He's earned their stripe. He's earned his stripes, and he's earned their trust. Coming up next, Brad Powers is in. We're going to talk about the uh, the side and total, especially the total in the uh, game between the Giants and Washington. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 10.30. It's the DC and the Sunshine Man podcast with Dave Koken. Watch at Steve Cofield on Twitter or on YouTube. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Brad Powers. Willie's here. It's Cofield. All right, let's bring in Brad. Um, some late money coming in on the football team. Brad Powers is with us, bradpowersports.com. How you doing, Brad? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I see some fours around town, and I see DraftKings out of the market actually just went to four and a half. So uh, some late steam on the football team against the Giants. What do you have on this game? Well, with the under, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I can trust either side. Look, these short uh, weeks uh, have been – you know, they're definitely favorable for the favorite, uh, especially if they're the home team. So, didn't want the Giants in that regard. I, you know, I, I bet Washington last week. That didn't work out so well for me. So, I'm not going to bet them with the backup, at least. And it's certainly not the current number. I didn't like it at three, three and a half. I'm not going to bet it at four. So, under 41 for me. All right, Brad. Well, I'd, I'm on the opposite side of that. I didn't like either side, just like you. But I, I like the over here, just thinking off. I, I think playing off the short week, considering what the opposing offenses that these two teams just faced, it's going to be on the offenses to perform against weary defenses. I mean, it's, you know, obviously they're both, the entire teams are tired coming off a short week, but, you know, you had one defense chasing Teddy Bridgewater, you had the other one chasing the Chargers and, and Herbert. And if there's if there's going to be units that are going to be tired, I was going off the 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 fact that the defenses, especially the defensive lines, it may favor the offensive lines for these teams, allowing a couple of young quarterbacks with, that have something to prove, and that the offenses could get a spark. And considering that the number has dropped, there were some higher numbers earlier in the week. I kind of like this over forty, and I got a forty and a half. 41 is a critical. Getting at 40 and a half, I don't blame you. Uh, 41 is, you know, I mean, it's an important number. Football 41, 43, uh, 44, and whatnot when you're dealing with totals. But uh, I just, uh, I come on the other end of that. I mean, I'll have to query it up, but I, you know, historically speaking, Thursday night's a little bit lower scoring, uh, especially when you got two division rivals that are very familiar with one another. I mean, the worry that I would have would be, you know, you got two quarterbacks that might be turnover prone to leave the short field. It's not, you know, I, 
hey, you got to swallow, you know, a little bit. It's a tough pill to swallow when you're, you know, betting under 41 anymore in the NFL. It's not like it was 20 years ago. Let's hit the college board. Uh, have you heard anyone supporting? Maybe you are Nebraska plus twenty-two and a half against Oklahoma. I I made a small bet on the Huskers. I, I think the yeah. numbers, you know, anything above twenty-one, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chance with them. Uh, and the reason being is that I'm just not still totally sold on the Oklahoma defense. I mean, call me square, but that Tulane performance, you know, left a lasting impression. We heard that they had made improvements all off season, and they go out and do that now. I didn't move the needle for me last week. Obviously, they beat some, you know, tomato can 76 to nothing. But, you know, if Nebraska's not turning it over, and that's the big issue here, if they play relatively clean, you can't expect, you know, Martinez to play completely clean. But as long as he limits the turnovers to a certain degree, I think, you know, Nebraska stays out of the number here. Alabama, number moving away from Alabama. You agree with this? As uh, Florida appears to be getting a lot of the money. No, I'm, I'm rolling tied. I just I don't think Florida offensively is you know uh, it's too one dimensional. Last year I mean sure you had Kyle Trask, you had Kyle Pitts, you had Kadarius Tony. Uh, you don't have any of those guys now. Richardson's fine; he's looked dynamic so far, but you know neither quarterback is really you know the way. If I'm Alabama, would scare me through the air. So I stack the line of scrimmage and dare one of those two young Florida quarterbacks to, to beat me over the top. I don't think that can happen. On the other side, you know Florida. I mean. Look, defensively was as worse as they ever been uh, in the history of the program last year. And look, they look improved so far. But who have they played? Florida Atlantic, South Florida, big, big, big upgrade when you're playing the Crimson Tide. So I'll roll Tide even even north of two touchdowns. What do we think of Notre Dame? Seven and a half against Purdue. I don't think much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, their issues aren't solvable either. Uh, at least you know within a week or so. And. What are the issues? Well, on the offense side of the ball, it's the offensive line. And, you know, they're already on a third-string left tackle. It was already uh, an offensive line that had to replace four guys that left for the pros. And, look, when Toledo gets five sacks against you and Toledo wasn't running anything, you know, schematically crazy, uh, they, they got five sacks with, you know, rushing four guys. They're up four, got five sacks on Jack Cohn and company. So, uh, I mean, Purdue, Carlaftis uh, on the outside of defensive end, I think they'll give Notre Dame issues. On the other side of the ball, schematically, you know Notre Dame running a three-man front. That's not Notre Dame football. That's why you know teams have gashed them on the ground. And then you know when Notre Dame loads somebody up in the box, that's when they beat them over the top. So there's really nothing I like about Notre Dame at this point. So uh, maybe I lose a bet with Purdue this week, but I can tell you this: I'm I'm hoping Notre Dame wins uh, this game. You know whether they cover or not. I mean, I can eat that bet. But the bet I'm wanting to make: Wisconsin. Next week, we'll be laying a relatively short number against the Irish. I think the Badgers, you know, All beat right. the Irish by double digits next week. Brad Powers, BradPowersSports.com. All right, I always love to take a big dog each week. Uh, New Mexico plus thirty against Texas A&M or South Carolina thirty-one and a half against Georgia. Uh, I'd prefer the South Carolina side, although I really like the under there. I'm okay. not sure South Carolina could score enough. That's the issue. I mean, Georgia's still allowed on defense, zero. I mean, the only points that have been scored against Georgia so far are two pick sixes. So I'm not sure South Carolina is going to score. That'd be my only concern. So prefer the under there. And I guess I'm on an island here, but, you know, one of my biggest bets on Sunday, I took A&M. I just I couldn't believe how short the number was against New Mexico. I get it. A&M looked lousy last week. I get it. A&M lost their starting quarterback, but 
the beauty as the season progresses is you can start comparing lines. And two weeks ago, A&M was laying 29-and-a-half to Kent State. I'm here to tell you, Kent State's about a touchdown better than New Mexico. Ooh, so, okay. I mean, that's why I fired away at 25, 26, 27 and a half on A&M early in the week. Let's go to the West here. Fresno, 11 against UCLA. Yeah, and I want to bet on both of these teams. I think they're both play-on teams. I would lean UCLA, but it's tough getting in front of Fresno State at this point when the Bulldogs are 3-0 and against the number, and they're covered by margin, an average of 17 points per game. And they're not going to be intimidated. I mean, they went up to Oregon and almost pulled an outright upset over that team. So the only reason I'm using UCLA is, you know, they come off a bye. I think they can set, you know, ground themselves a little bit after feeling good about themselves after the LSU game. Is the right team favored Arizona State three and a half at BYU? Yeah, I believe so. I bet Arizona State. I just think it's a bad spot for BYU coming off that first win over their arch rival in more than a decade. I mean, if you watch the celebration, you thought, I mean, it was their biggest win in years, and maybe it was. So I did take a little bit of Arizona State there, even though they haven't played anybody yet. Also, like the under, two teams are combined 4-0 and to the under this year. Relatively conservative game plans, really good defenses, under in Arizona State for me. Big crowd expected for UNLV and Iowa State. A lot of Iowa State fans in town, angry team. 31 and a half. That's not the type of team I want to lay that number with, although I'm not a big UNLV guy. Yeah, I mean, you know that. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I'm going to be there, uh, but I it's gonna, and I'm not afraid to make a bet. I think I'm involved in at least half the games this weekend in college. Uh, this isn't one of them. I pass. Really interesting uh, the way James Franklin, uh, Franklin has handled the uh, questions about USC. I have no idea if that's going to affect Penn State during the season. Uh, he, you know, he didn't come out and say no. Um, he said, you know, we'll handle it internally. Uh, Penn State is five five and a half against Auburn. I like Penn State. I mean, I don't like what I'm reading about the James Franklin stuff, but. You know, in the matchup, I just like Penn State. And the reason being is, you know, Auburn hasn't played anybody. I mean, you look at their stats, they look incredible. I mean, they've outgained their first two opponents by nearly 400 yards per game. They put up a 60 spot on both teams. But <laughs> big difference <laughs> between playing Akron and Alabama State and then going to a whiteout uh, at Penn State. And I'm just not a big Bo Nix guy, especially when he's playing away from home. So Penn State's played a much better schedule. They're 2-0. and against the number, give me the Nittany Lions. They went by a touchdown. You know, I'm going to go back to the well on this one. It was a right side loser. I think everyone has to admit that. Kansas last week couldn't cover 26 and a half uh, as a dog against Coastal Carolina. Uh, Baylor, what, don't laugh. Uh, Baylor is uh, 17 and a half, 18 against Kansas. I laid 14 on the circuit opener with oh, Baylor, uh, but okay. 17 and a half, I would, certainly wouldn't have made that bet with Baylor at that point. It's about where I have it and where the number is, but I gotta tell you, I mean, I, I was impressed with Kansas. I mean, being a quarterback looked pretty good running around there. Uh, that was a game you definitely should have covered. Schools with some turmoil. I just mentioned USC. Uh, the job is open. How do you think they react going on the road? Rolovich has all his nonsense going on with the vaccine. Uh, in this case, USC is uh, minus eight and a half. I took ten uh, with Washington State, but that was before the Clay Helton news on Monday. Uh, I'm not. I don't, I'm, I don't even think it's a negative. If anything, it might be a positive. So I mean, I'm a little leery of that plus ten number I got with Washington State, even though I'm in front of the number a little bit. I mean, it's tough trusting Rolovich because I haven't liked anything I've seen from Washington State so far. So I'll probably end up playing a little bit back on USC just because I'm not wild about my position early on in the, uh, on Sunday pass right now. Last one, another school. I mean, it just it doesn't end. Uh, heartbreaking loss, bizarro loss for Florida State. 
Can I take him here against Wake plus four and a half? <laughs> uh, it's tough. I mean, <laughs> they're going to play much better. Uh, but I'm not sure. I don't think it's good enough. I mean, you just look at the last four or five years, these two teams. I mean, Wake Forest is clearly the better program. I mean, they're a, bowl, a perennial bowl team. Right now, Forest State's a perennial losing program at this point. So I think the number's fair. I wanted to take Forest State. I thought the market would be wanting to fade them. But, you know, I think it's a relatively sharp line. What I did bet, I lean under in this one. Uh, I just think Forest State's offensive line's banged up. They're not going to get too crazy, so under for me. Go to Brad's site, bradpowersports.com. He's one of the only guys I know of who, you know, plays and then puts his tickets up there. So, uh, you know, it's full di- uh, full disclosureville. So we appreciate it. I also love the fact that I keep trying to bet into the horrific stories from last week, and you just you, your opening analysis is just, just chuckle at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I do respect you. I, no, I do. no, you know, hey. respect there, but uh, yeah, I uh, I'm sorry about the chuckling. Yeah, so I mean, sometimes you got to check me on it. If it's funny, it's funny. Thanks, Brad. All right, take care, guys. What a nightmare! Just got laughed at repeatedly. I'm probably getting <laughs> laughed at in this uh, LV Sports Network football picks. Oh yeah, what was week one like? Six straight up, forty-five out of fifty-five straight up. I'm, yeah, I'm, and I, well, here's the thing: you sent that link, and I didn't really. It didn't dawn on me. I get so many emails, and I got so many things going. So I missed last Thursday's game. I would have had Tampa, so I would have had seven. But Ari's got eleven. I know. I How embarrassing six. is that? That's when you really get laughed at, when Ari's out to an 11-5 and five start, and we're all struggling 500 or below. I'm yeah. going to bounce back, though. You know what? Good reminder, because I actually didn't get my Thursday pick in, you so I, get might, it in. I might be shut out. Oh, we got to get out of here early. We Oh, look at Ari's flipping out. We're all getting out. we got to get in the You Pick em contest. We're ending the show early. But before that, uh, you do need to know, Silver 7s for the NFL is awesome, including tonight's game. Come on down here. 77 cents. On the Bud, the Bud Light, the McUltra, they've also got a 777 special. You get 22-ounce beer, a couple of hot dogs, two bags of chips, and they've always got the great happy hour with uh, margaritas and well drinks and beers for 277 between 3 and 6. Football game is on the way.